This episode of Landmine Radio is sponsored by Guido's Pizza. Located on International Airport Road in Anchorage, Guido's has been serving the best pizza, pasta, sandwiches, and more since 1984. Guido's is open daily for dine-in service from 11 a.m. to midnight, and they do takeout and delivery until 2 a.m. Whether I'm dining in a Guido's or ordering for delivery, the hardest part for me is always choosing what to get because they have so many amazing items on their menu. If you're looking for a quick bite or want to order food for a big party, Guido's is the place to go. Tell them Jeff from the Landmine sent you. Okay, back here in studio with uh, local Anchorage attorney Christine Williams. How you doing? Good, thank you. Glad, glad, glad you're uh, glad you're on the podcast. Hey, thanks for asking me. Um, move the mic just a little bit. You want to? There you go. Get right into it. There. Okay. I know it's awkward sometimes. Um, excited to talk to you. I know you do a lot of interesting stuff with contract law, and you have interesting background in, in Alaska law, legal, law, you know, law here. But first, I want to talk about kind of your background. Um, Where'd you go to law school and how'd you, you you do kind of government contracting, a very kind of specific part of the law and we'll talk about that, but how'd you get into that and where'd you go to law school? Well, I, even if we roll back further than that, um, I was born and raised up here and my dad came up after World War II after he fought in Papua New Guinea. Oh, my grandpa was, um, World War II, B-17 in Europe. Yep. So a lot of people... Came up during that generation. He started surveying the highway. He surveyed the Parks Highway, in fact, and he worked with Don Sheldon and flying out. I was uh, late. Wow, really? Yes. I. They had me in their 40s after they had seven children. So I have seven brothers and sisters that were here. My husband's family came to Bristol Bay in the 1800s. So it's multi-generational. My sister- so you're one of those, like, if you ever ran for office, you could say, like, born and raised, fourth generation, you know. like Yeah, I'm going- not a California girl. That is for sure. But I went to school in California. It's funny you mentioned the Parks Highway. I, I talk a lot about how we don't do anything anymore. And the Parks Highway was like the last thing we did here. Yes. The big thing. Yes. Infrastructure-wise. Yeah. And that was in like the 70s. Yeah. My dad uh, was serving crews with that way back when and uh, came back early one time. And my mom and dad lived in Quonset on Government Hill. And he didn't tell my mom that he was coming home early because they didn't have cell phones or anything. And he came back during the night. My mom drew down on him. And he said, don't shoot me. It's me. Oh, my honey. gosh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because she didn't know who was coming in your yard, and she had a bunch of kids in that house. And so uh, there was a couple of times. There Love your kids. mom. <laughs> know, right? And uh, we lost my dad a couple of years ago. He was in his 90s. So he, when we used to drive the Parks Highway, he still knew all the families that lived along the road, and they still lived there. So was he, he still, like, mentally with it when oh, he was? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. He was still, um, he was still very much with it he was an incredible he had incredible memory he loved to read but when after world war ii he really liked to be in the woods and i think walking and surveying really helped him so he was up here in alaska in like the 40s yes um it reminds me of clem tillian yes he i did he passed away but i did a podcast with him years ago and he came up here and he told me this story he like came up here and he like kind of wandered down to like homer and like on foot yes and just Set, you know, he had that whole thing with, it was an interesting story written about him in one of these books I read, but, you know, he was there, out there in, um, what's it called, not uh, Pelican, uh, is it that little area they lived in, um, outside of Homer. Oh, uh, not Seldovia, but... Um, I'm blanking on, oh my, why am I, Mike Gordon lives over there, you know, that kind of that... Oh, whole, uh, not Halibut Cove. I think Halibut Cove, Halibut I think, Cove. yeah. So anyways, he would, he was living over there and doing that, and he was like in the legislature at the time, and everybody yeah. was like drinking and partying and drugs yeah. and money, and he had kind of been working on turning that whole area behind it into like a national, like a state park. Yeah. So like, it's all protected, you know, he, yeah. he was like, nobody's doing anything right. out there. My dad was kind of, he was like that, but he was the opposite. So he was very conservative. We grew up in a very fun house that was um, with seven brothers and sisters. We had a lot of different opinions at the dinner table. Wait, were they all like a couple years apart or was there um, a big So age? they were a stair step until me. And then my parents seemed to forget. My mom thought that she was going through menopause and she was pregnant with me. So I am five or six, five years one at one time uh, younger than my brother. My closest brother. So they Oh, had, so you're old, the oldest one. You must be really. There's 15 years between us about. Yeah. Well, so you, your mom must have had you when she was a bit older than if she yeah. thought you. Oh, yeah. she. I was a surprise. You were the bo- bonus. Yes. The bonus, bonus baby. So I grew up without my own bed. I shared a bed. And so um, if we wanted to go to school, if we wanted to go to law school, you better get good grades and you better work because we're not paying. We don't have the money for these kind of kids. 
So your dad, he stayed here in Anchorage the whole time? or Exa- did he? Yes, he did. And um, he was in charge of the 1964 earthquake rebuild. Oh, wow. So he worked for the Corps of Engineers for 25 years. He had a really good defined benefits plan when he when he worked for the Corps because he started out as a surveyor and then he apprenticed up to an engineer. And before, <coughs> before he was with the Alaska Road Commission, then he switched to the Corps. And so he had all this federal service. And my dad had a very good retirement, but more importantly, he had really good benefits for those kids. Did he ever do anything like politics-wise, or did he? He kind of was in the back a little bit. So he was careful because he was a government employee. Oh, okay, yeah. It's, so yeah. He, he was very careful. And then um, briefly after that, he did it, and then he just didn't like it. He liked, he really liked the job that he had. And then he always had things going on. He always had projects. He had always had things to do, and he always had things that he wanted to get done, and he got them done. And so um, it would take him quite a while. Like when I was growing up, um, he would have rental properties while the kids would work on them, right? And so he, we'd all have to cram in a thousand square feet. So we grew up, ten of us in a thousand square feet in a uh, one shower. And I think when my husband walked in, he was like, "You guys were all in here." <laughs> well, I was like, like old, hey. old school. Yeah, and we had running water, so we were very fortunate. We lived by the Native Hospital A and M. At the time, it was AMC. It's now A and M C. It was down. Um, it's torn down now, but we had people from the villages come in and stay with our family, and they were just happy for a place to stay. And so we, they were happy that there was running water. And so that really gave us perspective on life and um, the community service work that my mom had us do. So that gave us a lot of perspective on how lucky we were. So did you go to East then or where'd you go? West. Are you kidding me? I don't know how that works. We government hill. We're government hill. Okay. So we're West. So you you must have, I mean, today a lot of people you went to high school with that are still around, I'm sure, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. There's like people... kind of blanking on names, but like people in the legislature now went to West or they talk about East or these. Mia and I were, uh, yeah, yeah. So there's a ton of Costello. Yes. And there's the Sullivans and there's not, not Dan Sullivan, Senator, but Dan Sullivan, mayor. Although I really care for Dan Sullivan and Julie Sullivan very much. Um, but there was the Sullivan family and I was friends with, went to school with Casey and then his uncle, who was a year younger. I Casey, the, the, the marathon, or I think they've changed the name, but the, Casey, yeah, yeah, the Ka- Casey Sullivan arena is named mm-hmm. after his dad, George Sullivan. Mm-hmm. And then the Egan's and then the Hickles, they were always at West. So there was these, always these big families. It's funny. I think like it's, I always kind of joke. Casey is Tim's n- uncle. Yes. Which is like, they're kind of like similar age. But that's the Catholic <laughs> family. That's the same. You could, we could have had that easily in our family as well. Like by a few years. So mm-hmm. my mom came from 16 kids. So this is just. So where's your, mo- where, where's your mom from? Canada. So when my dad got his top secret clearance, they actually went back to Canada like that was a threat, you know, Canadian, and interviewed her entire family. So where was your dad from before he came? Florida. Wow. So that's a big yeah, World he War joined, II and then yeah. Alaska, right to Alaska. Yeah. He graduated and joined the um, Army Air Force, it was called then, at 17. Yeah, my, my Army Air Corps, my grandpa was in the same. Yeah. He was a f- 50, 50 missions in the B-17 Yeah, over Europe. He actually got shot down on 21st mission and had to bail out Yeah, and over over Yugoslavia. And then spent like two weeks evading and he got helped from the partisan, you know, and then they got back to the base. Eventually he finished his missions. And I always like think about how he was 22 and 23 when that was happening. And now it's like we've just kind of in some ways gotten so soft. I mean, I don't, I don't know if... Right. 22, 23-year-olds would be doing that kind of thing right, right now if, if we needed, you know, they might be concerned about, you know, their gluten-free or vegan <laughs> meals. Or, you know. And they might surprise us. I'm always hoping. I, I hope so. They, I mean, I hope so. They might surprise us. My son uh, constantly surprises me with things. He's 17, and uh, he constant he was Senator Murkowski's page. And, like, how I find about th- out about things or when after it happens. Mm-hmm. So I That's usually with the parents. They don't tell you. The kids don't tell never, you. Never. Never. Do they tell? So, yeah, he's had several accomplishments, and I'll find out after the fact. Like, it's not, he'll get awards, and I'll be sitting in the audience, no clue. Like, no clue. How old's your son? Is he? 17. Oh, so he's just getting ready for the... He's graduating. So we're going to, he goes to Stanford Online High School, and so we're getting ready to go to his homecoming. 
Okay, so you were raised here. You went to West. You, I mean, then did you go like UAA? Right to co- oh, okay, so you went local. Yeah, I had to pay for everything myself and try to save money for law school and try to go on scholarships. So it was always a struggle. I was always hustling. I was always working two jobs. So you were like, knew you wanted to go to law school from a jump after- since jump. Um, I just was drawn to it because I thought it was a way that people could be heard and could get justice. And so that was very important. I came from a, bo- a very, very modest background. If you have one em- one government employee and a family of 10, we were eating canned goods, shaken milk, just like everybody else. I mean, we weren't any different than anybody else. We didn't have any money. And so... Um, Did your mom work? Um. She was a nurse until she started having kids, and then eight kids is more than a full-time job. And if outside of the house, I would have gladly taken that job. I often think that by me working outside of the house, I had it much easier than my mom ever mm-hmm. Even though I worked 20 hours a day, she didn't, she didn't have those four hours off. So when you went to UA, just kind of do the straight four years, or did you work? And no, take- I had to work and take time off because I was also trying to plan for law school. So that was hugely important to me. So what year did you graduate high school? 87. Okay, so well, this is like the recession time. Yes. So it must have been even, it was like crazy yes. recession in Anchorage. Yes, it was. It was. And so I would take, I worked at the same law firm, I think, since I was a freshman in high school until my first year of law school. And then I would bartend in the evenings and I would take classes. Where'd you bartend? Or Darwin's. Oh, oh, was he still the owner back then? Oh, yeah, yes. Darwin. God, I Darwin guess it's his Beer. name. Yeah, Darwin Beer. He yeah. he sponsored a video we did years. We did the Slush Cup. Uh, yeah. down there at Alyeski. He's, he's I like Dar. He's he, he's he's part of the, um, what is it the um, Char deal and he yeah. gets political sometimes. Yeah. Like, and Juno and he's I like he's guy, a super smart. That guy, guy is awesome. I can't believe you bartended. Wow. Yeah. For yeah, it surprises people. I don't know why, but we were all. I always had the hustle. <laughs> does it does it look the same as it did back then? Now, uh, you know, I don't go in, but from the outside, it certainly does. And last time I was in, it was ex- almost exactly the same. Whenever I go in, I, I'm like this. I imagine this is how it looked when it was, you know, if it's 20, 30 years the brown ago. Brown chairs and the brown railing. It yes. does. Does it just still have popcorn? Oh yeah. Then yes. Yes. <laughs> so Love the popcorn. The thing that Darwin really. It was, what is your return on investment? Even though he didn't use those words, he had a huge, um, he would know how much st- each bar stool would cost him per hour. And if somebody was sitting there, he also knew how much it was to have taps versus beers. He knew what his variety was. I mean, he had it down. He had a good business model. He was a good businessman. Yeah, life. no, I, I, if you, not even now, that's like if you've been here for, for any time, yeah. you, know, you know about Darwin's. And you make a strong drink and you serve it with a smile and you're done. So where did you go to law school? I went to Santa Clara. And did you did you kind of want to go to? Did you apply to different schools, or how did you? So, I went based on scholarships that were given to me, and um, they came in with a really strong deal for me. And so that was that was other people came in with a better deal. This was a, the best school with the better deal. I was modest in my expectations, so I didn't shoot very high. Probably should could have shot higher with some of my LSAT scores, but I would rather have what I have and and um, get the deal that I got. So I, I never really seriously thought about going to law school, but I did take the LSAT after college yeah. and or at the end of college, and I, I didn't do. I mean, I really those fucking games with the. Seven oh, yeah. people on seven days and seven planes and this bullshit. <laughs> and it's like Bob must fly on Tuesday and Carrie can't fly on Wednesday, but he could fly on Friday. And Emily, I'm like, what the shit does this mean? Right. You know, I was really good on like the reading and, right. and the language, right. you know, but I, I, I did okay. But at the time I remember um, looking at the cost of law school and I don't know if that's changed. I know a friend of mine just got younger guy, seems Jake, he's going to Idaho um, state now and he got some little bit of scholarship, but it, it seems like, there's not a ton of money available There's for not. law schools, like not. scholarships. Not at all. A little bit maybe, but is, was that different? But like back it when you were different for me because I got every scholarship I could get my hands on. So it was incredibly important for me to be in that law library a lot because my grades depended on it. My my scholarship depended mm-hmm. on the grades, and then um, it was hugely important because it paid for most of my law. I, mean, I have friends, not many friends, that are lawyers, and some work for firms and some work for the state, but. You know, some of them were lucky and the parents had money and they went to no. not, not an expense. But then some of them go to these schools where they have 150 or $200,000 in debt. And, That's standard. You know, some of them are 
working for the state. If you work for 10 years, you they for, you pay it and you get a break mm-hmm. or something. But um, others go to the corporate, you make the money and you mm-hmm. pay. But it's just it's just to be burdened with that kind of debt, you know. It's, it's just it's so much money. It's, and you have maybe undergraduate debt, too, you have to contend, right. contend with. No, and that's why I think it was so important for me because I came from such a modest background. My parents were very upfront. Like, if you want to do this, you're on your own. And that's fair. Like, they had seven they had seven other kids to worry about. They couldn't do it for any of them. And so that's fair. If they set those expectations and I have to meet them and I want to go to law school where I'm going to make a good living, why should they go into debt rather than I'll pay for it mm-hmm. with good grades and my hustle. Are your siblings, some of them, still here? Or are they, they, yeah. they go so to other places? So I have now siblings that are, that are older that are, I have one that's driving into town. She just bought a home by ours in a homer that she's fixing up. It's really rough. And she's driving into town today. So all eight of us are usually in town in the summer. And then I think five of us reside here. Oh, so five. most everybody... Stayed. Yeah, and then there's 18 grandkids, and now there's great grandkids. Which so. is really interesting because I just did a podcast with Bill Pop, oh, who's okay. running for mayor, sure. and we talked about just how many kids now. Like I think he said, like half of kids leave and never come back. That's right. Right where, where it's like, I think that used. To, I mean, kids always are going to go. You know, you're always right. going to lose some people. Want to go somewhere else, but um, it seems like we're a lot higher than we what it should be. You know, the average yeah. in other places, and we always have been, and it's been a talent suck. And um, my husband was a hunting fishing guy, and he had family up here, and I had family up here. And so he really pulled me back because I was debating whether I should come back. Did you meet him here or did you meet him? Here. Here before. Was he from here too or was yes. he? Mm-hmm. And he went to Oh, Diamond. yeah, he told me his, um, yeah, I forget earlier his. He went to Diamond, and he graduated the same year. And so we never met each other in high school. And we met each other in 1997 at an Alaska Airlines Christmas party. And from then, we were just two peas in a pot the entire time. Did somebody work at Alaska Airlines, or you just happened um, to be? His sister-in-law did, and I, a friend of mine did, who thought I was on a date with him, and I didn't think that. <laughs> it's so funny. So we're doing this podcast now, and I'll, I'll post it later. But yeah. then after you, we're, I'm recording another podcast later with Scott Haberstadt <laughs> from Alaska Airlines. Yeah. So it's kind of a small. Well, tell him thank you. You might even see him. He's coming around four, so you might even run into him. If, Depending on what well, we he's, he's partially responsible for the marriage. And, well, no, my husband is because my husband said I tried the friends on him on the first date, and I said, "Was that a term back then, or is that uh, a new?" He knew it. And friend so zone. It seems like a new. He, uh, he. I said, "Well, why don't we start off in friends and see where it goes?" Because I knew I was leaving for law school. And Wait, so you um, did friends on him a little bit. I said, "Well, why don't we see where it goes?" He goes, "No, I've got enough friends. That's not what this is." Oh, about. I like that line. That's a good response. <laughs> That's a good response. <laughs> He's a solid guy. My parents, uh, they met in like the 70s. My dad was in the Navy yeah. and he went back. They're from Chicago and he was at his sister's wedding. And I guess he went up to her at a bar and he's about seven years older than her. And so she was 21 or 22. He was 29, whatever. And he went up to her and he said, I'll bet you a dollar I can kiss you without touching you. And she's like, okay. And then he like kissed her on the cheek and then he's like, I lost the bet. And he gave her a dollar. I guess it worked. They've married 51 years. so It does work. And those things do work. And and it's shocking when somebody says something like that to you and kind of, so, yeah. And we had so much in common being born and raised up here and just the values and the hunting and the fishing. And did you have to shake your milk growing up? Yeah. Did you have to thin out milkman? Yeah. And this was just the way that it was up here. And so growing up here, you have a different taste for things and then so you, you you grew up here and i mean you were here during the pipeline like i wasn't conscious of it i don't you were think. kind of a kid though you were young right kind, so yeah so that would you probably didn't see you didn't see all the crazy stuff did not i knew there were a lot of strip clubs and i knew we weren't supposed to go down fourth avenue very often that that was mm-hmm. kind of my my like when you see fourth avenue with the butcher baker the movie that they did oh the um book. frozen ground yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I, oh it's john cusack and nick cage that's right? what and 50 it, cent was in that it totally looked like that like all the time it just looks sketchy and you knew that you were taking your life in your hands when you kind of it's like oh and um you know it's cleaned up quite a bit it's kind of poshy now but. okay so you finished law school did you come right back or did you stay yes, to- i did and i thought um i came right back and i started working and i really liked i i I didn't know that this would be my niche. And I started in doing government contracting and I loved it. And then I got to work for ANCs in 
um, tribes and Native Hawaiians, and I just loved it. And it is such an incredible, rewarding part. And I think because I can identify with some of the social circumstances that people go through, that it's really a hardcore thing for me. So, okay, so my kind of understanding here is with government contracting, the ANCs and the Hawaiian... Um, NHOs. Yeah, they have a sole source. Like, they, they can get a... DOD side, they can get a $100 million sole source. And, and and this is, I guess, why you see a lot of these companies, corporations buying companies in lower 48 or maybe in D.C. or doing, like, a lot of government... Because con- they, they have that advantage. They have... Um, so, it depends. So, if you look at the amount of sole source wards that go to non-Native owned, it's nothing. Uh, the amount that go to Native owned is very small in comparison. So, it's... How, how many... Because normally you have like to... There's you, a... There's a like, Bidding, you have to bid stuff normally, right? Kind of. So if you go to some of the bigger companies, the bigger government contracts, you can write what's called a justification and approval memorandum, JNA, and they can get the real big dollars. And you're talking about the real, real, real big guys, like the big, the big fellas. And those are those are sole source. Yes. Because they just say we want to do. We want to. You're the only company that can do this, so we're going to give you this contract. And you'll see a lot of that when. Um, you know, the competitive, when they they go around the competitive bid to get to their sole source because it's mission critical, you're the only company that can do it. So they'll get, you know, multi-trillion, they'll get massive contracts. And so the um, DOD side, the defense side, so there's two sides, civilian spend, DOD spend, civilian spend is, is larger. But you get, um, you know, you're eligible for a sole source. Are you going to get it just because you're an ANC or a tribe or an NHO? Of course not. You're going to get it because you're qualified for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody wants to buy that contract back because that's what you could end up doing if you get the person with the wrong quals. It's not negotiated. You tend to get it. You can get a better deal with negotiations than you can. So, so sometimes when you get low bid work, you get low bid work. Yeah, no, I've always said, you know, the lowest bidder isn't always the best one to go with. And that's I mean, sometimes like I had a friend, he's, he's been public about this and he's building a house yeah. and he hired a contractor that was a lower, mm-hmm. he kind of knew it and didn't really know him and ended up being just a freaking disaster. Yep. They had to take the house down because it was, fr- it was, it's like, you know, you pay a little more, 5%, right. 10% more and you save in the long run. Right. Right. You know, you, or you, somebody low bids and then they come back and they say like, well, to do to do to do it this way, we have to do an addendum right. and a di- so you end that's up paying sometimes more going that's with the lower. You know exactly right. You're buying that work back, and that's how I think of it. Are you going to go for qualifications? Who's got the quals? Um, who's more competent in this area? You have to, that has to be a baseline. And always, like for those kind of contracts, the, what I would consider, you know, the unicorn of contracts, they're going to have they're going to have looked at that very seriously because everybody up the chain will have looked at that. Seriously. So I guess one question I, I have for you, and, and I, I think people have, Claire McCaskill was big on this. I'm sure you're aware of. Mm. Oh, the one that had Boeing in her district and no tribes? Sure. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so you're aware. Um, testified in front of Ka- in Congress. She, I mean, she, she got really at, at, at odds with the ANCs um, yeah. recently. So I, I guess from my perspective, some people wonder, well, okay, these companies, you know, I think nobody would argue they, need, you know, needed some, some advantages back when they formed, but. Some people say, well, do they, because now they're doing so well and they're, they have so many good companies and they're, they're doing so well, do they still, you know, there's a disagreement, I guess, on that. So, I mean, I'm curious what your thoughts are on, and, you know, the, from the Claire McCaskill side where she was trying yeah. to kind of end it. And that was, I think, before Air Claire broke that scandal, right, where she was renting her husband's plane for government work and actually using it for campaign. Um, oh, I didn't know about that. Is oh, that, yeah, oh. Air Claire. There's a whole Air scandal. Claire? Air Claire. The I wasn't scandal. aware of that. Yeah, so. Um, Hires her husband's wealthy then if he has a plane? or No, he, he, they were playing a shuffle deal with what was campaign and what was government work, and she got caught. Okay. So Air Claire is kind of the, um, what we've referred to, well, it's referred to as our scandal. It's how I think of it in my, in my mind now that somebody with such low credibility comes forward. Um, but as far as have ANCs, have the Alaska Native people done well enough? I mean, well enough, pat, 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 go home. That There's 200, you know, at the, at the start of, of ANSA in the old... old my dad used to refer to it as Inkska, so it's both referred to both ways. There's over 200 village corporations. We're probably down to about 176 to 185 is the estimate now. Mm-hmm. There's many village corporations who haven't even gotten into the program yet that are just starting. So 
Those folks are still going through, like you talk about Teller or you talk about some of these small villages, they still have high bucket systems. They still have open sewage lagoons. It's worse than third world countries. So when you're talking about these contracts, you're talking about revenue versus net profit. And that's where you really want to focus. So if you have a construction contract that's worth, let's say, $50 million, and the margin on a government contract for construction is between three and five, that's your profit margin. Because your material spends so much money. That seems pretty low, three to five. It's a, it's it's like a, not, not a, not a hot a high, margin. It's right. That's right. So if you get between eight and 10, auditors start looking at government contracts when you start making more than 10%, where you're going to make, make kind of sweet spots or kind of the IT contracts. Well, those aren't the big ones. So the big ones tend to get the, the larger NAICS code sizes and things like that are going to come in for construction. But what if a company is more efficient? And does better. Can't they make a higher? I mean, wouldn't they be allowed to make? Let's say if two companies, fifty million dollars, but one company can make three percent, and one company can make ten percent. Wouldn't you want to go go with? It? I mean, they could do it for maybe a little bit less, and they still make a. So the vast majority of contracts are awarded by firm fixed price, right? So it is a, a bid situation where the contractor decides what their margin is going to be in that bid. So you, if you're more efficient, your bid is stronger and tighter, and you can get it for whatever and still make a good margin on it, great. You're both, the government saves you safe, right? But if the, the span that you're talking about between 3 and, let's say, 8 to 10, 8 to 10, is, that's, a hard, that's a hot margin. That's a hot margin. Ten percent's right, nice. That's good. Yeah, but you, in construction, you don't usually see those kind of margins. If you see it, you see somebody that knows what they're doing. So, so um, I guess, but so, but so, so you're right. I think that's a good point about the smaller village corps and, but but some of like ASRC is doing. They're doing really. I mean, they have a lot of subsidiaries. They're making. They're good and doing good dividends. I mean, they they have. I don't even know how many companies they've purchased over the years. They've done really well, and they've, they're they're you know lower forty eight. So they're they're doing like, they're doing pretty good. Yeah, they're, ASRC, they're a good company. ASRC is known for going out to their shareholders and actually in, you know, I haven't done any studies recently, but at one point they will go out and they lose money back in their villages and in their, um, when they do construction projects, when they do home site programs, when they install the infrastructure, you know, what could cost us in Anchorage, um, $100,000 may cost 500,000 to the same build, mm-hmm. the same little piece of infrastructure. So they, ANCs, and we talked about this a lot in the Shehalis case, the ANCs step up and do what a lot of people would expect the federal, the state, or the local government to do. They just do it because it's their own people. And the communities that are there are not all Alaska Native communities. They are a mixture of communities. Everybody benefits when, and we saw it in the CARES Act, when everybody went, you know, we can't go to work, we don't have food, the ANCs came forward. So I want to ask you about the Shehalis, and for the listeners, this is this case about the COVID, the CARES Act money, and if it, the tribal, supposed to go for tribes, I guess, but then the ANCs thought they were qualified, and the government said they didn't initially, that's right? That's incorrect. Is that wrong? Did yeah, I, that's wrong. Did I say that wrong? Okay, correct me if I'm wrong, but I know there was a <laughs> well, case about... Remember that I'm I'm one of the, the litigators, so I was the original amicus brief for the ANCs, for all the ANCs on this case, and um, it was very few tribes. It was 17 in total that brought this up out of like 529, and the definition that they use is called the ISDA definition, the Indian Self-Determination and Education Act. It was ISDA at the time, the Indian Self-Determination Act. ISDA specifically included Alaska Native corporations in the definition. The tribes literally got into an argument that they shouldn't be included, even though they were in the text over commas. So, the, But the money was originally supposed to go to the tribes, right? It was supposed to go to the ANCs and tribes. That definition was used on purpose by Congress. So the ISDA definition includes ANCs. So, so who initially said the ANCs don't, don't count? The tribes. They brought suit against the 17 tribes out of 529, brought suit against um, the treasurer at the time, and, and said, no, don't distribute this $5 billion. None of it goes to Alaska Native people. None of it, unless they're in a tribe. Why did they? Why did they feel that way? They just didn't. They thought it was only seventeen out of five twenty-nine. So people had different definitions. It was not about sovereignty. ANCs have never alleged they were sovereign, and the tribes tried to make it into um, a, an argument about sovereignty, and it wasn't. It was a textual argument. It was extremely textual, and 
it was over a clause that includes, it literally says Alaska Native Corporations. And it's like, it says we're in this definition. There's so many definitions that can be used by Congress. And this one was chosen, and Don Young, congressman, former Congressman Young, oh, Congress, he put that in there, that clause in there on purpose. And they use that continuously and without fail when they want to include Alaska Native Corporations, when they only want to use another definition that includes only federally recognized tribes, they use a different definition. And that usually has relates to sovereignty and not benefits. So why did this have to go all the way to the Supreme Court? Couldn't this government have just said, no, like we're, you guys, we don't want to. They did. We, we were ignoring they you. Did. But they if it goes sued. to the court, then the, then it has to go to the, then it has to be litigated, right? That's exactly right. They got sued. So the government wanted to distribute to the Alaska Native people that were in ANCs. Remember, the Alaska Native people didn't have choice. So they weren't said, hey, do you want to be a sovereign tribe with land? No, only Metlakatla on the net island is, has land. We don't have that type of, of reservation. And a little system. casino, well, small casino over there. Small. Well, and, and I like an Indian casino, so don't give me started. I grew up, I grew up in New Mexico, so <laughs> I know about, like, where my parents live there. When I go back, I love Sandia Casinos, yeah. and it's yeah, one right? of the best casinos. It's, it's great. Yeah, I love yeah. going there. So um, when the tribe sued the government to stop the benefits for the Alaska Native people, it could have took apart the Alaska Native Tribal Health Consortium. There were so many implications of this, that the $5 billion, it wasn't an afterthought. Desperately, the Alaska Native people were in need of this money. They were in need of COVID vaccines. They were in need of this. It was going to stop a lot of things. Um, they wanted to preserve that definition. That definition is critically important because it's used when people mean to include Alaska Native, Alaska Native Corporation. Different definitions are mean, uh, apply when they only mean to include tribes and not Alaska Native sovereign tribes and not Alaska Native people. Alex... Um, Oh, Alex, Don Young's chief of staff had the greatest quote. Ortiz. Ortiz, I love him. Alex Ortiz um, said, you know, this is the gold standard that we always use. And that was quoted multiple times. And the amicus brief, so eventually I I switch over and I represented the ANCs. And we won in trial court, reversed on on the circuit. So we were going up to the Supreme Court, which Paul Clement wanted to do from the beginning. Paul is very smart. He's been up in the Supreme Court 200 times. Paul's got the ANCs handled. I switch over. Nobody's representing our federal delegation to say this is what was intended when first when Young put this, and this is how we use it every single day. That's what I was going to say. How did you get involved? How did you, what was your? Oh, I was from jump. So I was the first attorney from, I was the only attorney involved from first to last brief. I was the, I was the attorney. So I went from being the litigator and I was co-counsel with Paul who's a very nice, humble guy. He's been up in the Supreme Court 200 times, um, I think over, all the way to the Supreme Court. And then, so I look at Paul, and we're we're talking, and, you know, nobody's representing our federal delegation. Nobody's representing them at all. And it caused me great consternation. Um, So I jumped over and represented Congressman Young and Senator... Senators Murkowski and Senator Sullivan, and then we won. And did they pay? Did you get like a paid somehow from the other side, no. or the losing? No, loser, loser paid something. No. Or, so no. it's just pro bono. I mean, it's just kind of you. For me, um, when I go to represent the federal delegation, it was not paid. So I made a choice. Dang, that must have been a lot of. It was a lot hours. It was. And so did you go to, were you like in front of the court? Did you? So we, the court was closed because of COVID at the time. Oh, okay. You're right. Yeah, but Paul, we're Amica status. At that point, I switched to Amici. To, and so we, my paralegal and I, who never, you know, we were sleeping. She was, she is a Bering Straits shareholder. She was sleeping on the floor in our office. And so was I. I mean, we were not going around the clock to try to keep up because, it was so important that we do it. And it was so important that they are represented and um, they have to trust you. The delegation had to trust me. And I was very fortunate that I have very good relationships with the delegation because. <clears throat> I told you before we started, we told the story about the Sakwa piece we wrote yeah. um, last year and how it's so funny that the just kind of wild history that the Sakwa case was, was referenced in that court case as a sovereignty. Yeah. You know, I, don't, I don't know which side referenced, but it was definitely in there. And we, when our story we wrote, we talked about that, like, wow, this is still, you right. know, today, like, oh, being no. referenced 150, 40 years later. No, so. we still reference Cherokee's cases back in the 1800s. We still reference all sorts of stuff. And it's, um, 
Uh, the Amici brief for the federal delegation, I mean, Paul Clement said it was quoted the most he's ever heard an Amici brief quoted in his entire career, and I was very flattered by that because it was, we didn't swing and miss, we swing and hit. So so the the win on that, I mean, obviously it affects the money there for the, but does that have a broader um, impact? Because you were talking about the definition, right? And right, the definition applies to a lot of programs that are social programs. So we had the um, Alaska Housing, the Native Housing Authorities, we had the we had South Central Foundation, we had ANMC. I mean, it would have affected everybody, and so that definition was what we were fighting for. I wasn't fighting in my government contracts arena, but because I know ANCSA so well, and it comes to a matter of trust. Who do you trust? Who do you know that's going to fight for you as if they were fighting for their own life? Mm. And that's what it came down to. And so, it that definition also plays over into some of the definitions that I run into quite frequently from a government contract standpoint. And so I knew it's applied every single day and how it's applied. And and so immediately, even before I was done, I was being hired to look at what if we lose this case? Like, what are we going to do about government contracting? Because that's such a source of revenue for the Alaska Native people. And so we started looking at that as well. I mean, it was dire. It was if we faced that down, if we didn't go to, if we didn't fight like it meant something and it meant our lives and we were going to, we had to file... In fact, two briefs, and our strongest swing had to be the brief for cert so that we would get cert up so the Supreme Court would hear us. And once they heard us, we had to file the merits brief. And so we actually had two huge briefs that we had to do, and it was exhausting and rewarding, and it was heartbreaking because we had one of the things that I did when I was the litigator, which you questionable whether you should do it or not, um, is that I attached a bunch of affidavits from... Declarations are called, I'm licensed in D.C. too, so I go between the terms all the time, is statements from the villages saying how this would affect them, what kind of living conditions are are happening now, and then how this would devastate them even further, because it is like a third world country, and it is awful. And so when people say, should government contracting be curtailed? Well, are we going to spend more federal dollars up here? Like, how is that going to happen? There was a... You know, and I can't really criticize being on the federal spend because my father had worked for the Corps of Engineers before there were roads up here. We don't have the infrastructures that we need. We just don't. And we'll, well, like I said before, we don't build much anymore. Which no. I mean, I've been for a long time big, big proponent of this Kinnick Arm Crossing, which yeah. I think should have built, been built a decade ago. Yep. And, um, there's a Juno Access Road that should have been built, and there, there's, I mean, so many other you know projects that should have been built. That have, I mean, they're talking about a road to Nome for. Decades, you know, right. that's been something they've talked about and all these right. things get talked about and they just, that's all they would do. I mean, Bill, when Bill Walker ran for governor in 2010, I mean, something that stuck with me that he said that I, I always think about now, it's this back in 2010, he said, we used to build things, now we study things. That's right. That's right. And I mean, we've already spent a hundred million on the Kinnick Arm Crossing. Right. <laughs> I mean, some of that was like right away and stuff, but you're spending all this money and you're studying it and you're doing these different impact things and that's fine. Those need to be done, but... It's just, you know, we used to do stuff. I, I agree with that. And for growing up uh, here, we used to always hear about it, and we thought that would happen someday. Someday that will happen. And then when, you know, 10 years ago, they thought it was almost going to happen, and then it got shut down. And we were like, oh. And then we had some federal officials up here, and I met with some of them in Ketchikan. And when you land at the Ketchikan airport, you have to take, take a ferry. ferry. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that was that was Palin's... Uh, Bridge to nowhere. Remember That's that whole. And so she, like, she was. She was. She was for it before she was against it. You know? I know. Flip floppy flip. So um, yeah, don't even get me. Gravi- Gravina Island, right? <laughs> I was just in Ketchikan, so a friend, oh, a friend was going to the airport. It's like yeah. oh, I got to go here. I got to go to the ferry to. Yeah. Go to the airport. Yeah, and it's and if it's rough water, if there's you know if you've seen the cruise ships and the ferry boats and all of this trying to pass each other, good luck. I mean, we're you know the ferry is going every fifteen minutes in the summer. Sometimes there's two. Mm-hmm. Not on weekends, weirdly. Um, so when the federal officials said that, they said, is this the bridge to nowhere? And I said, yeah, to the airport. Right. And so they were just like, okay, so this contextualizes a lot for us. And so they went to the Cape Fox. If you've been to the Cape Fox lodge, I've seen it up there. It's It's absolutely amazing. I've been there, but I've seen it. It's nice. It's amazing. And then, um, that's Nancy. Yeah. It's a local one. right? Yeah. And then they work very closely as most do. 
um, or in my experience, I should say, most do with with tribes. So the native native village of Saxman. So I, somebody want to ask you. I know we don't have like tribes here officially, but we do. You know, we but, do. We have like, federally we recognized tribes. But we we don't have like the reservation, reservation system. The, you know, right. we have the ANCs, and you talked earlier about people are. But we have like yeah, you know, village or the what well, native village, native yeah. village. But then we have like a Clinton, you know, Clinton Haida, and yeah. now they're talking about doing a casino. I don't know if the, that's allowed or not. But like, what's the difference? I mean, we have ANCs, which that was how it, how it was set up. But then there's also these tribes now that right. I mean, what's the so I guess there's flux context, context there's a, there. There's a little bit of flux in in Clinton Haida is the largest. I think that Clinton Haida has 35 members. And um, as you can, I work for not only Alaska tribes, but I work for a lot and lot of lower 48 tribes as well. Do you do, you do anything with Clinkett Haida? Let me tell you, just the Driftwood situation. I'm not sure if you're aware of that, but I'm very upset about that. And um, I'm not staying in the Driftwood anymore, and I'm very upset about that. So if you're listening, Clinkett Haida people, thank you for kicking me out of the Driftwood. I do not um, work for the tribe itself. So if I were to work for anybody, so I try to keep my clients closed. If you notice my website, I don't list my clients. Yes, I went to I I was... I'm very quiet because sometimes I have to handle very sensitive things. Um, But... I would work for their business side. So if they were to acquire a company, I might work for. You should work for the Driftwood and maybe help them get back to being normal and treating people, not kicking out legislators and people and well, charging I, five I times have, the rent. I do not know what you're speaking of. I'll send you an article. <laughs> I, believe me, I've, whew, I'm very unhappy with no, but that situation. They, so they have 35,000 in theirs, in, in their tribe, but they're small, much smaller tribes. And the average size of a tribe under in Alaska is under 100. So if you look at a native entities chart in Alaska and how far spread out they are, I mean, it's incredible to see the small amount of tribes that we have. But we have the vast majority of tribes actually live in Alaska. The federally recognized tribes are in Alaska, but they're not, they're, they don't have the reservation land. But they don't have land, right? So the ANCSA corporations have the land. They have the land, right? right? The tribes don't have the land. And why was that important? Because of the pipeline, right? So they needed the land to buy to run the pipeline. So they're not going to give it to sovereign nations. They're not, well, who knows what happened. People did the best that they could at the time that it was passed. So and I feel like I, one thing I've heard and read, and this seems to be the situation, is I think they, when ANCSA happened, they recognized all of the faults of the old you know, reservations and how many bad things happened over. And they said, well, let's, let's, you know, they came together and different people had different ideas, but they, let's, let's do something different. Is that fair? I mean, is that? I think that at the time people thought that. And so if you say that to a lower 48 tribe, which they don't even like the connotation of lower 48, I'm like, literally it means lower. Like we're the highest altitude. Um, but We're the biggest state too. So just, right. we, we, no, we, 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 we get a little bit of a, we can say but, whatever we want. But we mean, you know, it's lower 48. It's not just lower 48 tribe. And so... What Hawaii happened? gets mad about that. I've heard the one. They don't like well, Hawaii and Alaska are kind of the, as Simpsons, the Simpsons would say, the freak states. But... Um, the lower 48 tribes, people looked at those, and it was Nixon when ANCSA was passed, and I think it was, it's really important to remember that at that time, reservations were as poor, if not poorer, than they are now. And so they looked at this, and they thought, that's a failed system. Mm-hmm. And so instead of perhaps thinking about what would work best for the Alaska Native people, they took what works best in corporate America and kind of put a, a square peg into a round hole, but the Alaska Native people were very quick. And so I was just talking to, I met with Rhonda McBride yesterday, if you remember her, she was, yes. mm-hmm. and we're talking, she's been doing some stuff with um, Emil Nadi and yeah. some history, and it was just like, you know, these guys, these were go, they were 20s and 30s, they were young people, and they went back yes. there, and they didn't, they weren't getting big pockets, pockets of money they were right. doing it for because they they knew they need they needed to do it and you know they were they were they were they were like they struggling but i mean they, they were they, nobody was paying them any money you know That's they right. were doing it because and they go back there and they made this it's just pretty actually incredible when you think about how this whole thing came together i i think yeah and the the thing that when you hear the people talk and um like Milot and, and Emil Nadi and uh, Willie Hensley, and you hear them or heard them speak um, and recount the history, and they knew my father as well, because there's, there's a small community of people up here that are making kind of um, some monumental gestures, and I think for for them, they all came together from different parts of the state, and Willie Hensley, I think one time, or maybe it was Mr. Milot that said, you know, 
Um, we didn't like being at Mount Edgecombe together because we were forced into that, which has changed now 100% for that school. But at the time, they all came together. They made this incredible connections that made them stronger, and they could go and understand and fight um, the way that they were expected to fight for what they needed to well, do. Well, also the idea of, like, sticking together. I mean, I just heard... Yes. I didn't even know this, but I guess, like, Southeast had already had some very small money for the Tongass and yes. there were some people at the time that were like well they don't kind of screw them they don't. and then other people said no 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 we all need to be to get together on this thing right and and, and, was, and they you know they were right there was the I think the Alaska Native Brotherhood down in southeast there was a town on the chiefs and so they were all doing that and then they became united and I think they started to push out and that was that's my recollection and um, that were from what I've heard because angst was passed clearly when we were children but um, bar- barely children in fact but uh, it is a very interesting system and I think it, that the corporation model it off-puts a lot of people because people wouldn't say tribes are so successful, should we stop their sovereignty? And so nobody says that. But if a corporation is being successful in government contracting, well, isn't that enough for them? Do they need that anymore? Mm-hmm. And so it's the t- same type of thing. They've had enough. McCaskill never found fraud, waste, or abuse. So she conducted massive amounts of history, or I'm sorry, hearings, um, and which is funny because like Sarah Lukeen was very strong against her and so was Julie Kitka and it was almost like saying Alaska Natives need to stick to Alaska to do federal contracting and if they had said that to any other race they would have been you know strung up on Capitol Hill for saying it she said it with impunity and her facts were what do you think her obsession I guess or just just uh reasons for because I came out of nowhere. I don't know. I One day I started hearing her name, and it was a whole uh, big fight. That Boeing was in her backyard, and there was no tribes there. So um, it wasn't by chance. She was also an auditor by trade, and she needed something to do. So everybody's got to have a cause or, you know, a cause celeb. And this was hers, and that's what she decided to do. And she never found her facts. I mean, she never found them, and she was beaten at every corner. And so, you know, then came Senator Waxman. Who she passed her staff off to Waxman, and he took up the, the thing. And then it just kind of went away because they couldn't find it. Yeah, I haven't really heard much right. about it for a while. Right, because, um, I mean, when it leads to nowhere, it is nowhere. Last thing I want to ask you, and I know there's, so there's the um, ANC stuff and the Hawaii stuff, but then there's, like, women-owned and, and, you know, certain, like, racial advantages in, in contracting. Has Will this decision, recent Supreme Court decision on racial solely racial preference for admissions being being thrown out will that have an impact on the government contracting world it has so um there's a lot of spinning wheels in the affirmative action the harvard the students the students for fair the harvard case the affirmative action case and um there was a rebuttable presumption for individually owned when you're dealing with tribes and ancs and the indigenous people as a group so a whole ANCs or the whole of tribes. Um, it's a political classification that Congress gets as part of the constitutional powers. When you're dealing with an individual race, you're dealing with a racial classification in general. And so you need to be careful. There's a case in the Sixth Circuit going on right now. In fact, there's going to be a brief filed on Saturday that I've been following extremely closely. We have a, a working group because it, it affects only individually owned. So it will not affect entity owns such as ANC firms or tribal firms or NHO firms it should only affect individually owned that being said it's just a matter of time before these types of cases spread I fought them in the DC Circuit Court of Appeals before um, in the Rothy case and we and we prevailed there um, we I've met them before oh gosh the same attorneys were Amici and Rothy they were um, the lead attorneys in the Dynalantic case in the DC Circuit so we kind of get the same players playing again and I usually only come forward um, in these types of cases when I'm needed to come forward otherwise you won't hear or hear about me because I don't like I said I don't keep my clients on my because I do some pretty sensitive work so I'm careful about who I do but when it when it's time I'll come forward I'm licensed in the DC 
uh, regular court, I guess, just like I'm licensed in Alaska, and then I'm licensed in the D.C. Um, circuit Court. I'm licensed all over the place. I'm licensed in the U.S. Supreme Court. So this one is going to be rough. Um, there was already an initial injunction against the SBA on the individually owned and racial preferences. How they applied a rebuttable... Is that based on this decision on the, the college? or Yeah, they used it as part of their backing. Now, the Sixth Circuit is an extremely unfriendly circuit. I don't know if it would stand up in the Supreme Court, even with a conservative court. Um, when we won the Shahalis case, we had a 6-3 to three decision, which is not usual for this. So the, and that was before um, mm-hmm. Barrett, right? No. Was she, was she on there then? Okay. Yes. So that was when the court was already... Yes. With uh, and Gorsuch so and Kavanaugh yeah. and Barrett, yeah. It was the same. We had six to three. So we had both sides for the Alaska Native people. It was quite it was quite a victory, and it was probably one of the most unifying cases. I like that. Uh, I know this isn't Alaska Native issue, but I think it was Sotomayor or maybe Kagan about the, um, the uh, oh, what's the guy's, oh, my God, why am I blinking on the, the water, the water uh, sturgeon, the sturgeon. Oh. And there was that, that quote about, like, uh, Alaska unique. is different. Alaska <laughs> is unique. <laughs> All these things apply well. Alaska's. I used that in my brief. Yeah. I unique. Yeah. Maybe it was unique, not it's different. Unique. But it's unique. Yeah. Because yeah. I used it. Because I just lifted it right after. Mm-hmm. And then I was talking to Matt Finley, who's an attorney, and he's a friend of mine. And we were talking about something. And I said, and I said, well. He's one of the guys that represented Sturgeon, right? The, yes. Yeah. And he said, that's my, that was my case. And I said, well, thank you. <laughs> I took that quote for that case and used it, and then Paul and I were joking because it didn't make its way into his brief, and it made its way into mine. That's a great, so, yeah. I think yeah. She, she said it, right? She was, yes, was verbally, absolutely. yeah. She, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's in their, no, it's in their decision. It's in their written decision, too. Like, Alaska is unique, and then they reaffirmed it in our case. That whole Sturgeon thing so crazy how not once, but twice. Right. Sturgeon one and, and he spent, two. I mean, all this money and time, and he got, I think Ed Rasmussen was very yeah. supportive, and but... Just over some stupid thing with like a, a hovercraft, you know, on, right. on, on a frig. I mean, it's like so crazy that that led to this whole. I mean, it took I think a decade or something right. from. He was on the podcast years ago, John yeah. Sturgeon. Oh, and, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about the whole. I mean, it was just crazy because he got a ticket, I guess, and then it just like that blew up and, and like the kick. The court gets I don't know thousands of cases. Maybe I don't know how many they get, but they only pick a few. That's right. Well, like two percent, something like. And now that. this is still being actually topical because the now the Dunleavy folks are talking about suing the feds over this Kushkoquim thing mm. about you know navigable ma- you know waters and, mm-hmm. and this is still like still which I think sure the Sturgeon thing applies. Right. I mean, it's, well, we don't have roads, right? So back to your point, nothing's built. So if you're not going to build anything, let's look at what our navigable waters look like. Let's look at this and who needs rights to that and and some of the like. E- you know, one time I remember hearing, and it wasn't that long ago, the, somebody went up and they said, you can't have your fishing line or you can't have your fishing nets out. And they went up and cut some Alaska Native people's fishing. Um, they cut their nets. Like feds did? I, I think it was. Oh, wow. Ooh. And uh, I was surprised that they made it out because that's their livelihood for the entire winter. And I was just like, what the frick just happened? And you hear about, there's that story years ago in that mine where those those guys showed up the... There were these placer miners, um, and these federal agents showed up. I don't know what was going on, but they were like, Ar-. and it's like, I don't know if they realized, like, probably showing up with, you know, <laughs> guns to, like, a placer miner operation, maybe nothing happened, but, you know, it could have. Right. That's right. I so mean, like, I assume everybody in Alaska is carrying a gun, like, just like, about like, like, your, like, your, like your mom. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, that's, that's the truth. Like, you don't know what's walking in your yard if you wait. That's why I think... You look at all this stuff now, and, and maybe it's anecdotal, maybe it's just because of social media, but you look at all this crime and violence in lower San Francisco and Seattle, this, you know, this media journalist just got stabbed in the heart and killed, and you know all this stuff, this D.C. congressman just got mugged you know, at gunpoint. I mean, all this stuff, you see it like... He got carjacked, like right outside of... Yeah, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Three yeah. Du- dudes yeah. attacked, you know, so you see, and I just, I always kind of think, and this is just, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like maybe it's the people up here and we just don't act like that, but mm-hmm. I also think people are like... Anybody you fuck with might shoot you. I think that's and right. And I think there's like a lot to say with that. I, I think I, that's that's a that's so something I, to think about. I, whenever I'm driving Homer, Willow, anywhere, there's a gun in my car without question. Like if I get pulled over by a trooper, the first thing I say is, I have a weapon. You got to disclose. Yeah. You gotta. I have a weapon and I just put my hands up and they're usually like, just give me a registration if that's okay. And I'm like, that's fine. But, you know, you should know. And because um, I don't want them to see it. 
before I tell well, them. I think you're, by law, you're supposed to tell them, right? Yeah. If, if you have a... I tell them at all times. Yeah. I'm like, I have a gun in my hand, you know, I have a handgun in my purse. I, I will disclose that. And so um, that's a much better way of handling things, I think, than the other. But in D.C., you know, I'm there every two to three weeks. And you don't have a gun there, do you? <laughs> no, I do not. And I am, I am quick to watch and be careful. I also, um, I mean, this journalist guy just—I think it was where was that at? That was yesterday, or the the, the footage came out. I forget where it was, but it was early, early late in that, late at night, early morning. He was with his wife, I guess, or girlfriend, and this guy, like some crazy guy, stabbed him, and the heart killed him. Yeah, you know, it's just just crazy, right? And I, I, up here, I think it's a different thought process that if you really want to rumble, somebody will. Jump. If you're feeling froggy and you want to jump, fuck, let's go. Yeah, no, I, I think the, I think I'm, I'm, I think a lot of criminals up here are, like I said, they're like, this, I might get fucking shot if I do this. <laughs> if you like, come in It's 50 50. Mm. You know, what, what, whenever I, I go to an event, I'm always like, I wonder how many people are and I've always carrying here. Justified. Oh, if I'm at an event, I assume a lot. Oh, um, yeah. No, it's, it's definitely more than. It's more than one. It's it's less than a hundred, but it's 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 somewhere up there. Well, and I've always justified to my friends who um, are surprised by the guns that we keep and things, and and I'm like, well, if they come in my house, they're not coming in to make friends, and so if there's only two people going to walk away, I'm pretty sure I'm going to try to be the the you know if there's two, mm-hmm. one's going to walk away. I'd like to be the one that walked away because that person came in not to make friends with me. They came into my house for. A bad reason, and that needs yeah. to stop now. And so, I mean, I like you, Christine. <laughs> First time we met, but I, I like you. Right back at you. I like. I really liked your uh, election coverage. I like your. I'm a middle of the road person. I'm an undeclared. So I'm part of the 52 percent. Me too. I'm, I, I went to nonpartisan three years ago, so I've been an independent yeah. for over three years. Yeah. So I didn't sign up for the independent party. I, I might have done so accidentally. So you know, a lot of people do that. So, know, right? so independent party has like whatever the they have. Session. They have. Uh, this is right. the, the Joe Vogler. Right. They have enough people to become like the, to be a recognized party based on based on um, number of um, members, uh, vote registered voters. But but the thing is, a lot of people. And I actually met a friend a couple of years ago. I was when I was running for the Senate. She lived in the district. A friend of a friend. And I and she goes, Oh, I'm I'm independent. I'll vote for you. And I go, I go Actually, you're Independence Party. She goes, No, I'm not. I'm independent. I said. I just checked. And she goes, how do you, how can you check? I go, it's public. And then she goes, oh my God. I said, you're a member of the sessionist party? Mm-hmm. She goes, oh my God, I must have. And she's a smart, like, educated engineer. So right. she filled it out. Right. And she must have been like independent. Okay, independence. Right. That, no. That's how they have the ballot access right. because they have a lot of people think it's independent. And I don't know if they had nonpartisan when I registered to vote. I think it was undeclared. I think I think they have forever. They have you, you, you undeclared that's, nonpartisan. That's they, they have both um, designations. Did they have both then? I think they've had both for a lot. I mean, for as long as I can okay. remember. I mean, it's, it's no, I, I don't was, know if I'm they, just undeclared and then I'm, I'm good because, um, you know, I think far right people are as dangerous as far left. You know, a lobbyist friend of mine told me a long time ago that if you get a string and you hold the string and you pull it out both hands tight and you got the far left end of the string yep. and the far right end of the string, you bring your bring your hands together, they meet. Right. Because they're, they're, they're the same. Well, we saw it yesterday. The extremes. Right? AOC's um, voting with the crazy eight. <laughs> you know, I I, I, I just uh, heard the best thing. Uh, ben, ben, I listen to Ben Shapiro a lot. And... He said the best thing that he said. He goes, "I have no fault. I don't blame the Democrats one bit for what happened because if the if the if the coin was flipped, we we wouldn't want to bail them out. Right. So it's not their fault. Right. It's the Republicans' problem, and it's eight people. Eight people. Yeah. You know, the crazy eight that did, did, did this, <laughs> and it's like now McCarthy says he's done, and no one knows what's, it's going to be a week without a. And, and I'm trying to get the kind of figure this out, but. The speaker's second in line after the vice president. That's right. And I don't know the answer because I've heard different things. Now there's a speaker pro tem, which after 9-11, they had this thing where they give the names and, you know, continuity of government. But but is this guy, is he in the line, this McHenry? Yes, he or, should be. Mm-hmm. So some, he's third. So but some people are saying he's not an elected speaker. So now it goes to the president pro tem, which is Patty Murray. Like until this is the, the debate I'm hearing, but but because mm-hmm. he's not like the elected speaker, and the Constitution is s- s- clear on speaker, is it clear that they have to be elected though? Uh, well, I, I've heard there. So one article I read, um, it, it said that the Republicans have taken themselves out of temporarily taken themselves out of the line of succession. But I don't know. But that's a but question that you know that would be an interesting question with the how they define that as being 
in that position. I think that would be interesting. This McHenry guy, I don't, I don't know. Did he? I wonder if he even knew. <laughs> like when you give the list well, you for the continuity, continuity government, right. did, did did he knew? Did he know he was number one? Did they tell him? I don't know if I, they tell you. I would you. think that they would. Um, I think what's more interesting too is that. Gates is um, that he was supposed to check with RNC. I think that story is developing that they're going to. Pretty sure they're going to boot him from the conference. Yeah. You know, I watched this, I watched the whole thing yesterday. And, I mean, oh, I, did the, you? The, 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 one thing about Democrats, you can say a lot about Democrats. I mean, the woke stuff and just the, all the, you can, there's a lot of criticism there. But, man, they fucking stick together. Whether it's nationally or here here in the state and the legislature, they stick together. They, they, they keep, they're, they're, they, right. they know the game. They keep, part of it's like. Especially in Alaska, they know they're a minority. Right. Sometimes, but they if they stick together, they six years they ran the house. Yep. And because they stuck together and they didn't break. Right. And the Republicans didn't. Right. <laughs> always stick right. together. The and, and it's it's um, it's really interesting. And I, you know, I, I don't. I think the guy's way out there. But it's funny. I listened to his speech, and I did not disagree with everything he said. There was a lot of things he said that now the the mechanism of what he did. I mean, right. this is it's it's like it's funny. He's mad at um, McCarthy for getting the Dems to help with the, the, the government shutdown thing. But now he's working with the Dems right. to kick out McCarthy. Right. It's so directly with him. I mean, walk across the aisle, shake AOC's hand and say, I he was even it. on their side. I and did it for you. Oh yeah. Cause they cut their mics. Well, well he was on their side. Like he had, he had, um, Physically Ilhan Omar side. behind her, yeah. but, the, 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 but then he said, I wanted to be with you guys, but you guys wouldn't let me be with you That's guys. Right. <laughs> They cut his mic. It's like a comedy. They cut his mic. And I thought, I was like, if you can't get the message you entitled, son of a gun, like that's audacity meets entitlement meets narcissism. Yeah. And so this guy will take down the ship because he's drowning. He's already taken it in. Now it'll be interesting how this thing, you know, shakes. I'm I'm even thinking about, I don't know if I'm going to go. Tickets are kind of expensive, but I almost want to go down there next week and just to be, see what happens. Right. Because it could be crazy. Oh, and I wonder, so sometimes I have this, and maybe it's an image of Congressman Young that, because he was so near and dear to me. Um, would this have happened under his watch because he was so good about getting people? That's an interesting point, yeah. Would he, would he have? Because he threw his weight when it needed to be thrown around, and he could have whipped people into shape. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had such influence. That's a, really, that's, a, that's a really good question. Would he have had the influence to get those eight And he was really close with Nancy Pelosi. Right. So would he he have like had an ability to influence that part, you know, other part. Right. And he was very close to Jim Jordan. Like I was out to dinner with Congressman Young in D.C. And we're at the place where Congress, Republican congressmen can go or Congress people. And he walked up to Jim Jordan. And yet I've been at his at his house when Pelosi was over there as well. And they're brokering deals. They're getting legislation passed for the good of America. That's not what this No, is Don about. was kind of a master at this stuff. And he was incredibly good at it and incredibly good at um, I saw people I I saw people at this dinner and lobbyists weren't allowed and I was sitting next to him and I said, Well I'll bring Halbert or something and he had people cycling through and it was a lot of Dems that said, Please don't oppose this, can we get this? You know, blah blah blah. Kinda of almost like his blessing. And he's like holding court or <laughs> yeah. And I said, why don't I move? Cause there's a lot of people that want to talk to you. And he said, no, don't you move. If I wanted to talk to them, I I'd ask you to move. And you know, he's so straightforward about that. And I was like, huh, it's just getting more awkward for me to listen to all these conversations. That yeah, I well, really don't want to. So that'd be me. That'd be, that'd be, that'd be my element. I'd be like, <laughs> no, I'm not talking. Just talk to everyone. No. I'm listening. And you know, Alex, Alex was there. And I always look to Congressman Young's staff because, um, we had some very serious conversations, the Congressman and I, um, for the last several years. And I, I was so sad when he passed. And I was so sad. And I just, I took Anne, uh, his widow out fishing, my husband and I did a few weeks ago, and with she's got two friends that are her age, and they will not stop. They caught their limit that day, and it was a rough high. It was a rough fast time. Wow. And they are serious women fishermen. And I'll just never forget how much influence, how outsized he was, how smart he was. When, I mean, he plays the Ashunk's country lawyer card until it's overplayed, but he's he was a very smart man. You could ask him about water rights. You could ask him about this. You could ask him about Oh, no, that. I told you he was in the podcast a couple of times, and it was amazing, his, like, recollection of events that Everything. were 50 years ago and, you know, just really, like, vivid memories of things. And So when um, I testified in front of Congress, somebody, they started it two minutes late, and 
he looked at him, and they maybe it was five minutes, and he, he looked at him, and he said, why aren't we starting? He said, we start on time. We need to end on time. People have commitments. We have people. We have places to go, blah, blah, blah. And they said, yes, Congressman. Yeah. I mean, there was such due respect. It was almost like people were genuflecting. Mm-hmm. And they introduced me when he spoke, and he said, so she is my constituent. And <laughs> oh, wow, okay, well. Thanks. <laughs> and I stopped by his office, and and he's just he was just so gracious and lovely and he could be rough and tumble and Alaska's rough and tumble yeah. and I think that's what people don't understand and I even went to Hawaii and I was speaking at a conference at, for the Native Hawaiian organizations and they said you know I think it was um, Gabbard that said uh, Congresswoman Gabbard said you know nobody's got a reserve seat in Congress in the House of Commons <laughs> except for Congressman yeah they, they were from they worked on the, the marijuana stuff together yeah. I mean, Tulsa Gabbard yeah um, I think it's a good point to end I got a uh, and I want to keep going with you. We have you back on the podcast, but I do have that Scott Haberstadt guy coming in, the Alaska oh, Airlines guy. So and thank him for today. You, you, you might see him. He's going to be here any minute. So he got me this ring. I, lo- I love that. Well, we'll have you back on Christine Williams, attorney. It was a great, great conversation. Really, yeah, first time so we've met. Much fun. First time we've actually so met in person. Much fun. We could do it again. You, you, sh- you should have your own show. No, you got a lot to say. You, you'd be people would listen. I guarantee it. I have too much to say. Ask that's people exact, that know me. That's exactly right. I mean, no, I asked around about you, and a lot of people said that's going to be you're going to have fun. So you're going to have a good time with her. It's a good but podcast. then you were surprised that you liked me? No, I knew I knew I was going to like you. But I just, people said, oh, you're, no, she's not going to be quiet. You know, she's, some people you do a podcast, they just don't, yes or no answers. It's kind of not what fun. What is that like? Yeah, not, not good. Well, thanks a lot, Christine Williams, attorney. We'll have you on again sometime. Really enjoyed it. And um, we'll uh, really enjoy talking to you. Oh, same. Thanks yeah, for okay. having me. Thank you so much. Yeah. This has been so much fun. And I want to thank I mean, Brian for setting it up, too. Right? Yeah. He's wonderful. He's kind of the unsung hero and kind of my hero. So. Yeah, he's, he's, he's good on the email. So. I, I'm glad he didn't friend zone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is that your husband? Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, didn't know, oh, I did not know that. Because you have different last names. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I was too lazy to change it. So I was, it was total lazy. To that makes total over. sense. Cause then I was like, that got really awkward. And then I was like, okay, I figured it out. Wow. Okay. Well, great podcast. We'll have you again. I really enjoyed it. Okay. Thank Christine you so Williams. Much. Yes. Folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, uh, get hold of me and stay tuned for the next one.